after the two night feeds, he was only managing one sleep cycle, so 45 minutes. And then he was waking up again. And I was reacting where I was getting up to give him another feed and that sort of thing. And he was falling asleep quite on the first feed a bit, maybe. So I felt he hadn't fed properly. So I would get up and feed him. And, I'd be, and then I'd think, oh, I don't know if you've got a dirty nappy. I've got no way of knowing. So I've got to check because I can't make you sleep. In this week's podcast, Kath shares some of the trickier parts of getting little ones to sleep, both at night and in the day. We talk about highs, like that first precious smile, but also the feelings of cabin fever and how a new baby limits your life. Swaddling is explored in great detail, as well as questions about awake windows. So stay tuned as we explore more about the first month through the highs and lows of early parenting with Cass and Max. Welcome to Sense by Megfora, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Fora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parent Sense app, and catch Meg here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back. I'm Meg Fora. I'm an occupational therapist and infant specialist and have worked with parents for more than 20 years in my private practice. My speciality is sensory integration, sleep problems, and fussy babies. I am delighted to be your host and to share my expertise with you. And this week, we welcome back Cass, who has been a new mom for a month now. Congrats, Cass. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. A month yesterday. It's flown by in many ways. (laughs) It does. It really does. And how has it been this week? Well, it has been a week of highs and lows. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like motherhood. (laughs) Yeah. The biggest high is he started smiling. My word, Cass. Yeah. Yeah, That's early. Uh, yeah, he was quite early. I mean, it did take me a while to be convinced that it wasn't wind. <laughs> yes. But then it d- it does look completely different to the wind smile. Yes. And so, yeah, but now, and he's really smiley now. He, you know, especially in um, the evenings around bath time with his stars on and things like that, he does lots of smiling. And in the morning when you wake up, he's, you know, in the day, he's sort of really, oh, it's morning. I'm so pleased to see you guys. And That's amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, Cass, it actually opens up a conversation around smiling because it, it for me, is the most important milestone. Uh, I mean, honestly, more important than crawling. And, you know, in, in, when, when he gets to nine months old, we'll be talking about that. But the reason it's so important is that being social is uniquely human. It's so, so, well, it's not uniquely human. I suppose there are creatures that do it as well. But human beings really, um, everything centers around being social. And um, I mentioned last week that your first social milestone was eye contact and your second one is smiling. Now, smiling is a very interesting one because it actually happens for, as I said, about 95% of babies at exactly six weeks. It's such a funny milestone. It's really like you can mark their age by when they smile. And then you get this cluster of babies who do smile early. And it's really interesting that he smiled early because my settled baby, and I know that he's a settled baby, my settled baby also smiled early. And, you know, I think that part of that is that they start to realize, and, you know, I mean, we to talk about the sensory personalities a bit, that settled baby personality has a very high threshold for sensory information. So they really, a lot can be going on around them without them really noticing. And that's why they don't 
become fussy, why they tend to sleep fairly well, why they feed easily. But when they start to realize that actually there's a world that's a bit more exciting out there, they become quite social. And so often we have these these settled babies who kind of put their little toes into the whole um, social butterfly phase as well. Because they realize that actually when they do things like smile, they get more input and so then they they enjoy it. And so that's definitely, I think, what's going on for Max is that he's realized that it's actually quite exciting because when he smiles, he probably gets a whole lot more interaction from you and from from Alex as well. Yeah, he 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 gets that, and also he, he's getting good. We've got a playmat now where he, if he kicks, it, it, it hits a piano key, and so I mean he's not necessarily in control of his kicking; it's just sort of happening sporadically. But he, when he does kick, Alex gets very excited. When, <laughs> so they, I think he's learning those smiling and kicking, especially the red button on the because that's the color of Alex's kicking. <laughs> but no so definitely that has been a massive high and it does it makes such a difference because you know it's when you start to get something back as well Mm. and I think that is for the especially when you know obviously you have to give a lot as a as Mm. a parent in those first few weeks they are completely reliant on you absolutely everything so that moment where you start to get something back and they really Mm. their whole face is you know their whole face lights up and that's why it's different we realized it was different to the wind one because you really yeah. see it in the eyes and they sparkle and you know it, it everything is forgiven when, yes. when they smile so yeah that that was definitely a massive high of the week and the other thing is interesting you say about dipping the toe into the social side because over the last sort of week and a half I've also noticed I think he fights sleep a little bit more when he's tired and we're rocking him in the day you know, he used to just close his eyes and go to sleep. Now it's like 10 eye close and then reopen and then eye close and reopen. It's like, he's, it's almost like he's sort of going, oh, I'm really tired, but what if I miss out on something? <laughs> exactly. And and that's your social butterflies personality. Exactly. So they have a fear of missing out. FOMO is their, yeah. is their catchphrase and they don't want to settle. It is also the age as well. You know, this is the age where little ones do start to fight sleep. And, you know, sleep's interesting. It's what we call a state transition. So you actually have six states of being that little ones can be during a 24-hour period. So that's a deep sleep, light sleep, obviously your two sleep states. And then you've got a drowsy state. And then you've got a an active alert state, a, a calm alert state, an active alert state, and a crying state. So those are your six states that babies move through in any 24-hour period. And anybody who's interested should go and read up on that in my book, Baby Sense, which I'm sure you, you've read, mm. yes. yes. And so those six states are very important. Now, as you're transitioning between two states, and particularly from the calm alert or active alert state into the drowsy state, and then from the drowsy state into the light sleep state, the brain becomes a little bit um, irritable for a couple of moments. And so almost all babies, and I, you very rarely see a baby, particularly a young baby of, of around this age, you know, kind of between four and 10 weeks, who doesn't actually fight sleep a little bit. They're usually kind of just as they're falling asleep, doing a little niggle, or, or they might, as you say, kind of eyes closed and then cry. And, you know, some moms will write to me and they say, it's like every time they walk into the bedroom, the, the fussing starts. You know, mm. it's almost like they know that sleep's coming. And that's a very classic um, sleep transition a little bit of sleep transition fighting. The important thing there, and a couple of things there, swaddling works wonders for that because what that does is it inhibits all of those little um, kind of reflexes, the moro and startle reflex that make them more irritable and helps them just to settle a little bit quicker. 
It's interesting though, because Swaddling actually, he gets really upset and really fights Swaddling. And he did it in the hospital and the nurses said that he was fighting it a bit. And we've d- I've done it on a, a few occasions, and but ve- I've done it very rarely and it's gone well. And the majority of the time, he just really gets frustrated and mm. almost wakes him up more mm. because he's like, get me out. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I have to say, I haven't been, and I've read in your book, it says, you know, sort of do, do keep trying. If they don't like it, they will learn to like it and, and that sort of thing. But it's so difficult when you are nearly getting them to sleep, but they're fighting a little bit. So you swaddle and then you just suddenly have like, yeah. <laughs> and he's strong. Yeah. He's really, he can get his arms out. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's that fighting and, and fighting, trying to get his arms in to then swaddle him. It sort of ends up being not a very pleasant experience. So I have to mm-hmm. say, I, I've not really been swaddling recently. Yeah. So about 80% of babies actually do really well with swaddling. And it is something that I recommend. There, there are those babies that don't, and he might fall into that category. But just a couple of principles, I think, for everybody who's listening around swaddling. So First of all, the benefits of swaddling are twofold. The first is that it mimics the world of the womb with the deep pressure. So deep pressure or what we call proprioception um, comes up through your dorsal column of one of your spinal columns. It goes into an area of the brain that releases neurotransmitters that are calming. And that's why it's such a soothing thing to have like a massage or to go for a deep, uh, like a long run or a good walk, because that all initiates also um, proprioception for adults. We clearly don't swaddle ourselves. But for babies, the swaddling works really well for that. And then the other thing that it does is it inhibits the marrow and startle reflexes, which is often what make babies, the reason why they start to fight sleep is because they've got these little reflexes. And as they start to have the sleep transition, they start to cry, but, and then the arms are going all over the place because they've got the marrow and startle reflex. And so they become more fussy and, and that's kind of forms a little bit of a cycle where they end up really fussy um, and really fighting sleep. So that's, that's why swaddling works. Swaddling is interesting because it's controversial. Mm. I don't think it should be, but it is controversial. And the parts, you know, where the controversy arises is twofold. The one is that there's a quite a bit of literature that shows that babies who swaddled with their legs straight. And by this, this is the kind of the ancient Chinese method of binding babies, you know, kind of with their legs straight, kind of all the way down and almost in a funnel that they used to put on their backs to work in the rice paddies. And when those babies' legs are bound straight, they actually ended up with a higher incidence of hip dysplasia or, or dislocations. And this is because bending your knees up when you're neonate, when you're newborn is very important because it helps the acetabulum of the hip joint to actually carve carve out or or the ball to carve out the socket, which is very important because babies are born with actually flat, almost flat sockets. And they need that kind of almost like that kicking motion that he's doing all the time. It actually carves out a nice um, hole in the, well, not a hole, but like like a concave space where the ball of the hip can actually fit in. What swaddling does when your hips are swaddled straight is it prevents that. And so we really don't want babies to be swaddled with their hips straight. The other risk is that if babies are swaddled too loosely or once they're rolling, so that's from about 14 weeks onwards, they can unravel themselves and then you've got a a cot death or SIDS risk because you've got a blanket in the cot with them, which is something that we don't want. And so my recommendation on swaddling is for all parents, and I think you know, you, you've you clearly tried it and maybe it won't work for Max, but for all parents, they should be trying it, and particularly for that fighting sleep scenario. 
but it needs to be done very specifically. So I used to uh, make a, a triangle shaped um, or heart shaped swaddle, which I know that I've given you one of those mm-hmm. and, and moms can kind of either fold other blankets into that shape. And I actually prefer just getting one or making one that shape. And then you fold the bottom of the triangle up against the feet so that the legs are all nice and bent up so that they can carve out that acetabulum. And then you swaddle each side really, really tight and swaddle the arms in and it must be tight. If they can fight their arms out, it's probably not tight enough mm-hmm. and that will create some irritability. Um, so, and, the, and I also wouldn't do it as they're going into that sleep transition because they're already a little bit irritable. So you, it's harder to swaddle them when they're already irritable. So my recommendation for swaddling and particularly before sleeps is if you're doing two sides of a breastfeed is to not swaddle for the first side and to feed normally and then change the nappy and then to swaddle really tightly for the second side. And often that will actually help them to settle on the breast in a swaddled position. And then when you do put them down drowsy and awake, they actually remain really nicely swaddled. So just an idea for you to try. I mean, I have to say one, we are, he does, when I say he fights sleep, I do mean he just opens his eyes a few times and then closes them fully. He doesn't, it, you know, and, and I've been thinking about it because a, a friend of mine, um, since all my friends are having, we're all having babies at the same time, which is lovely, but she was, she actually said to me how her baby, you know, in just in passing, she said something about had a, had a bit of a temper tantrum about something or, and was talking about crying. And I realized Max just never does seem to have mm. any form of temper tantrum. He never seems to have prolonged periods of crying. He'll sort of give you one cry to let you know. And then it's almost like, if I've told you now, <laughs> I'll just leave you to, to do your thing when you're ready. So, you know, and he, he is really and He does settle very easily. The, but one thing I was going to ask, because I've seen in a lot of, well, everywhere, but also in, obviously in your books and on the um, app, it talks about the 45 to 50 minute awake time. Mm. And Max just doesn't seem to be so interested in that short awake time. He doesn't fuss. He doesn't get overtired. He, you know, he'll go to sleep when he wants to, but sometimes he can be awake for two hours, very happy. And it doesn't, he doesn't, we don't have trouble putting him down at night. You know, all of the things that mm-hmm. you, you know, really trying to prevent happening by keeping those awake times short, it mm-hmm. works really well. He's fine and he's happy, but I just wondered, is that okay? The fact that he's just absolutely mm-hmm. fine, but he, he's not interested. He'll do long sleeps in the day. He'll sometimes do a four hours. He might then do another two hours. If we go out, he might lie in the pram wide awake, just really happy lying there staring at the black walls of the pram mm. and we did a whole walk the other day when it was sleep time and he just sat very happily just staring and we mm. got home and he hadn't slept but he hadn't been overstimulated and he wasn't upset or crying for the whole thing mm. so I just wondered is that just how he is is that okay or should we be really trying to push for him to be sleeping after those 50 minutes and how yeah. do I, how do I do that if I should be Yeah. So it's a good question. So the awake times are something we haven't touched on yet. And for those people who haven't heard about the awake times, they're kind of those awake windows between the end of a sleep and the start of the next sleep. So it's not the start and the start, like we time with feeds, but it's the end of a sleep to the start of the next sleep. And as you've said, for newborns, you know, it is 45 minutes to an hour. So in his case, he's a, he's a month old, so he's actually towards an hour now. And that 45 minutes is more about preparing for the sleep than actually getting him asleep at that time. So he's an hour between sleeps at the moment. And that is, again, you know, 
you know, and whenever you put something out and say babies love to be swaddles or babies need 45 minutes of, of awake time, whatever it is, you need to understand that that's the average baby. That's the majority of babies, but it can differ. And it's very important as a mum that you do start to go with your own gut. So if you, you, if you find he's doing two hours and he's happily awake for that time and he's happily falling asleep and his night times are not disrupted, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Having said that, for most babies, it is 45 minutes to an hour. For at this age, it obviously becomes much longer as we go through the first year. But we always have to think about their sensory personality. And because our babies with high thresholds, which is our settled babies and our social butterflies, because they don't take in as much all the time, because they just are that much more laid back. So their senses are not taking in the same volume of sensory information as, for instance, a settled baby, a sensitive baby is. And so what happens is that they just don't get overstimulated and they are able to fall asleep a whole lot easier. So, you know, what I suggest is that you aim for an hour but if you can see that he's just not settling at that time and it's an hour and a half, then that's absolutely fine. If it ends up being two hours, he's probably done two awake windows. And so he could be a little bit more tricky to get to sleep because when babies are awake for two awake windows, they have a little bit of cortisol that is keeping them awake, a little bit of the stress hormones, a little bit of adrenaline that kind of keeps them alert. Um, and then falling asleep is a little bit more difficult because you've got to fight through that um, mm. and fight through those neurotransmitters. So, But in general, if he is doing well on two hours and you're finding that that works well for him, there's nothing wrong with that. Because I suppose that the tricky thing is when you bring in real life <laughs> to spend the time to get them to go to sleep, you know, a classic example is I was going out with him. We were going on a walk with other mummies and babies and, and for lunch. And, you know, by the time he'd done his morning feed to get myself ready and him ready and then we get out the door yeah I didn't (laughs) I didn't know where I didn't have the time to settle him into a sleep so it did end up being it was two hours which is quite normal for him but it did make me think I thought you know when real life comes into play to spend that time sometimes you just don't have it Mm -hmm. actually sit and rock them or whatever the Mm -hmm. however you get Mm -hmm. them to sleep and so that was you know it, it is quite tricky I think when you start we're only just starting to bring real life back into back into it all but it sort of just made me think now that that is happening I just don't have as much time to stand and rock and sing or Mm. you know all of the the things that and he doesn't take too long but it's just sometimes I've got a million things to do. (laughs) Absolutely and you know I mean it's, it's so interesting to bring up real life because you know I think one of the things that mums find is that they are held hostage by the feeds and the sleeps like feels like that's all you're ever doing is, you know, either preparing for a feed, doing a feed, burping them or getting them to sleep, you know, so it's just never ending. I do think that with sleep times, it is quite important, not at four weeks old, because he's still very little, but certainly as you get towards three months of age to prioritize certain sleeps happening in the home environment with the perfect sleep routine, just because it sets you up later on for really good sleep habits. And, you know, I always say to parents, the things that hold you hostage now are the things that will set you free later. Mm. So an example of that is a good bedtime routine. A good bedtime routine is a pain because you can't get out and go, to, go out for dinner and, you know, and just have your baby's, you know, kind of pram next to the dinner table out at a restaurant because you're going to do your bedtime routine at home. But I promise you when you've got a two-year-old who's actually going to sleep very regularly every single evening without a fight at exactly, you know, seven o'clock, 
you are going to be the parent that looks like you've done the win, you know? So, um, you do need to, I mean, there are certain routines that are important that you do want to stick to, but I do think that, you know, having some flexibility, going out with your friends and if that awake window stretches a bit, that's fine, particularly because he's a settled baby. I can tell you now, Kaz, there are moms who are listening and I've had many, many of these moms in my practice many times where if they had kind of, if a little bit had woken up, taken 45 minutes to get out the door got them to the restaurant and it was a two hour awake time, they might as well have left and gone home because their little uh-huh. ones would have been so miserable, so overstimulated that they just, they just would have gone home. It wouldn't have been worth uh-huh. the lunch. So it depends very much on the baby's personality again, you know, and, and, and again, you know, I think for parents who are listening, it, it sometimes might sound like, you know, you, you've ended up with having, you know, you, like it, it looks like it's the gold standard and that truly is not the the reality for all parents and to have a fussy baby who's overtired at two hours is the reason why we put the wake time windows in because we want to make sure that that you are actually settling little ones regularly we've done a bedtime routine from two weeks old where he's had a bath and then we play stars and he has a bit of a massage and then we get him ready for bed change him and it's all very in the dark he doesn't go back downstairs in the first couple of weeks I was actually going to bed with him at 7 38 but then I really struggled because I wasn't having an evening and I felt like I wasn't having any adult time at all and I suddenly thought this isn't actually very good for my mental health mm. so what we do now is we settle him upstairs and put him down in the sleepy head in his crib and then when he's really down we take him down without him knowing he's been taken down again have dinner and I have a sort of hour downstairs as an adult yeah <laughs> and then I come up and go to bed he is now actually sleeping for five hours on that first session so he goes down at about yeah 6 30 at the moment he's he's tending to fall asleep and he's waking up at 11 30 and then he's doing three hours and three hours after his two feet so he's doing but that has only happened in the last few nights what was happening is he was doing his five hours but then he was after that after the two night feeds, he was only managing one sleep cycle, so 45 minutes, and then he was waking up again. And I was reacting where I was getting up to give him another feed and that sort of thing. And he was falling asleep quite on the first feed a bit, maybe. So I felt he hadn't fed properly. So I would get up and feed him. And, I'd, and then I'd think, oh, I don't know if you've got a dirty nappy. I've got no way of knowing. So I've got to check because I can't make you sleep in a dirty nappy. Anyway, what I've, I've now switched it, and after a conversation with my mother, we, we, tr- we tried a new thing where I'd actually just don't get out of bed. I just put my hand on his stomach and um, I gave him a dummy and he has started to settle himself. And now we're doing the three hours and three hours. But certainly I made a note earlier in the week to go, what on earth do I do? Yeah. But I just wondered why it was after those two night feeds, it's no other time of the day, but after those two night feeds, he was just he just does wake up after 45 minutes. Now I'm settled him but he's still doing it what why would he be doing that yeah, then? so interesting so 45 minutes as you know is is an, a sleep cycle at his age so what happens is they fall in they fall asleep it takes them about 15 minutes to go into a deep state of sleep and after 15 minutes they do what's called the hypnagogic startle which is a little startle reflex that often wakes if, if, a, if a mommy's listening has got a catnapper a baby wakes after 15 minutes that's when they wake with that hypnagogic startle the babies then who sleep, who go deeper, go into a deep state of sleep and after 45 minutes come into a light state of sleep. And that's 45 minutes. You can set your clock by it. It's literally mm. 40 to 45 minutes for all babies at this age. And what he's doing is he's coming into that light state of sleep and waking up. Now, what I love about what your mom said is that deep pressure of putting your hand on him is actually exactly what you need to do. So most babies don't do it 
in after the midnight feeds. Most babies actually do it at the evening feed. So at 6.30, he would go down and at quarter past seven, he would wake. That's very, very common. And for there, if it's the early part of the evening, I actually do recommend doing a cluster feed. So I do remember, I do actually recommend doing one extra little feed or little top up feed. And then they're often then settled in for the night. So if it's happening in the first um, sleep session of the night, I do say cluster feed. If it's happening after the 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, whatever, any of those feeds, then the best scenario is just to put your hand on them and to put the dummy dummy in exactly as you're doing. Again, in that situation, you're not using the dummy to fubble for feed because you know he's fed. You're yeah. using the dummy to help with his peristalsis and he'll actually settle in, and go um, into a deeper state of sleep. And so what you're doing is actually perfect, the pressure and the dummy. It will pass. I know that it's frustrating right now, but it will pass. And certainly at his age, for being four weeks, to go for that stretch until 11, 30, 12 at night is just absolutely perfect. And what you'll find is that will start to stretch out over the next couple of weeks. It'll become 12 and then one. And then before you know it, he'll be having a feed at one o'clock four o'clock and then seven o'clock. In other words, really, he's only having, you know, kind of one or two night feeds. So he's really doing well with his sleep. Yeah, he is. And actually talking of the night, so I know we've spoken before about between five and seven is their awake time. And then they've got the the day, you know, you wake them up for the day mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But he's been waking up at 5.30 in the morning and I've, I'm afraid I've slightly ignored you because, <laughs> but only because neither of, us, neither of us are working at the moment or I work for myself anyway, mm. so I'm not by a strict time. And so what we've done is 5.30 and then I've put him back down and he's done an extra hour, which takes him to 7.30. And it just means that I get that extra hour, but he also, uh, he then sort of wakes up and he doesn't need an immediate feed. So Alex mm. can take him, get him dressed, take him downstairs. And I'm able to have a shower and sort myself out. And so I've been doing that, but is there a specific, is that fine? Is there a specific reason Perfect. why five to seven is, is there yeah. something I'm impacting later in the day? <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. So between five and seven, Again, you know, I keep talking about averages of babies. Between five and seven is when the majority of babies do wake up for the day. And five o'clock feels terrible for parents. It's it's horrific. You know, it feels like the middle of the night, especially as we go into winter. So, yes, I mean, five o'clock and later is is um, when they wake up. What's probably happening if he's awake at 5.30 is he probably is actually awake for about 45 minutes. If he's having a feed, a nappy mm. change and so on. So you're actually putting him down after a sleep cycle, and then he's going through until just after seven for his first morning waking. So that's absolutely perfect what you're doing. Definitely no reason why not to do that. What I do find for most moms is that five o'clock in the morning, when they do put their babies down, they just won't settle. And those are the babies where I say, get up for the day. So, you know, you will know as a mom, is it at 5.30, he's alert, he's awake, he clearly is not going back down, in which case you've just got to get your, you know, yourself into motion and just yeah. get going for the day. Or is it that he still seems really drowsy and will settle back to sleep with just a dummy in your hand on him, in which case absolutely get that extra hour of sleep, no problem. Yeah. Cass, it sounds like you and Max are doing a great job at the moment. <laughs> I think, you know, I, like, I mean, just a little yeah, bit at of the feedback. Moment. <laughs> well, I mean, I can tell you a little bit of feedback. First of all, clearly he is a settled baby, but there's so many things that you're putting in place that are also creating good habits. So a small thing that I think most parents don't do at this age is a bedtime routine. And most parents are just kind of winging it, feeding baby in front of the TV or whatever it is, you know, on the run downstairs. But by separating day and night, you really are establishing good sleep habits. So, you know, by following almost the gold standard recommendations, 
with your own sense. I love that you're bringing your own sense into it. You are creating really good habits for Max. So we are very much in a good trajectory. And I, I'm sure a lot of parents are able to learn from, from your experiences through this. Oh, well, no, I mean, I have to say, I, uh, he, as again, when he starts smiling, you, because he now seems to love his bedtime routine, it means it's something mm. that we look forward to and it's a, a joyous part of the day. So precious. that, that makes a huge difference and makes it much easier. And I do think if, if there are any mums who are struck for me, it was a real mental health switch when I suddenly decided, no, I'm going to have my evenings. I'm going to actually put him down and have that, you know, time where I come back down mm. and I, and I have some, um, adult time. Mm. I've, you know, I, I, I do feel I've struggled and I've, um, adapted this week with, with just learning. It's all trial and error, but just learning yes, I've got to do the right thing for him, mm. but I also have to find that balance for me because otherwise I'm not my best version of myself for him. Mm. And so I've, you know, I've had to make a few changes to, to help myself in, in, over the last week or so. And mm. it's, and it's paying at the moment, it's paying off. As I keep saying to my friend, it, in a week's time, it'll probably be a very different, different yeah, yeah. situation. Yeah. Well, I mean, you touch on that mental health aspect of early mothering. I mean, it is such a quagmire. I think whoever you are, you feel insecure. You feel like, you know, you, you, you doubt yourself. You're not sure if you're doing things right. There's so many questions that are not answered. And, you know, I, I mean, I can remember the evenings just absolutely dreading the nights and just thinking, how on earth am I going to do this? You know, and, and also losing myself in the process where, you know, and so I think, you know, having that hour in the evening where you can actually spend time with your partner, if that's possible, you know, is, is really good advice. It is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I had a bath. That was really nice as well. Yeah. Have a bath if you can. <laughs> and, and feel a little bit more sane. Yeah, it's a hard yeah. part of it's a hard part of our lives. That transition into motherhood is it's it really is a tough time. So and obviously peppered with all the gorgeous joys of having a newborn. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Kaz, thank you so much. The time Thanks, has flown. Matt. As usual, I've loved our chats and we'll connect again next week. Great. Thanks so Enjoy much. Enjoy your week. Thanks, Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.